It's not hard to feel a little burned out after COVID, postponements, and the 2022 boom. Four months ago, everyone was in the weeds. Two months ago, we were all grateful for the holiday season and the rest that it brought with it. And now, we're just trying to get back into it for another go-round in the spring and the summer. Today, I interview Bob Spiegel, the chef owner of Pinch Food Design in New York City. He didn't lose his motivation during the pandemic. In fact, he found renewed inspiration. This wasn't his first experience with a rough stretch. He's been through them before because he's been catering parties for the last 40 years. And even though he's got more years on his resume than many wedding pros do years on this planet, he still approaches daily work like a kid. He's curious, he's constantly challenging himself, and he's committed to his team like few other business owners I know in the industry. In today's episode, you'll hear how Bob balances running a business with feeding his creative spirit. What gives him the edge he needs to keep things sharp day in and day out for four decades and what he does to refill his passion and put purpose to everyday work. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Before we begin, a quick little 20-second message about a new program for planners I'm doing with Megan Gillikin of the Planners Vault. If you or someone you know want to get out of the month of rut and book more full planning clients, check out our new program, Breakthrough. It's a three-month intensive designed to show planners how to sell and service more than month of couples. Check out BreakthroughWeddingPlanning.com. Now, on with today's show. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now, I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Well, today I've got Bob from Pinch Food Design on the podcast. Bob and I have known each other for a few years, and I'm super excited to dig into the conversation. But before we get going, I know you, Bob, but the listeners don't. Love for you to share just a little bit about you and your background before we get going on the conversation. Thanks for having me, Sam. Talking to you, whether it's on uh, on this or uh, on the phone or uh, in the woods is always, uh, always a pleasure. I am a classically trained chef and I never knew what I wanted to do. I never had dreams of owning my own business. Um, I just had dreams of learning as much as I can about food and how to cook. And I'm still learning that to this day. I'm, I'm, it's just endless. And I stumbled upon Glorious Food, which was a, which was the caterer back in the early 80s. They're still around, but uh, I became the sous chef of that company and started catering parties for uh, Andy Warhol and uh, David Bowie and uh, Grace Kelly and Prince Rainier and working at Henry Heinz's house. And I know I'm dropping names of people that I don't know, but just to show you the level of, uh, and the era of New York. And, uh, and that's where I've done most of my work. And then I ended up, um, starting my own catering company, uh, back in, uh, 1989. And then I sold that company and, uh, started this new company called pinch food design, which is a design food design company where we decided we're not going to have bars with glasses on the top of them. Um, We're not going to have chafing dishes uh, that each 
that we really wanted to elevate catering food to where restaurants were at in its experimental phase. And uh, back in 2011, we really hit a chord and sort of helped change the industry. I didn't know about the the background you had before you started Pinch. I mean, I know you've been doing catering for a long time, and I want to I want to hear a little bit about the journey and about how you changed the food industry because I know that that's something that you have wanted to do, not necessarily change things, but just give people a different perspective. And it caught on, and I, I want to I want to spend some time digging into that. But I want to go back to this. I want to go back to the beginning, and you said you were classically trained. So did you know that you wanted to? be a chef when you were younger like that was that was a thing that you came out of your adolescence wanting to do yeah I worked in a restaurant in um, um, high school but I also was the guy that had all my friends over and I cooked um, I cooked for all my friends and I also grew up with um, there are five kids and my mother was a music teacher um, she was the leader of a choir she um, Wrote, uh, drove in the ambulance once a week. She, she did too much. And so uh, sometimes she wouldn't put her heart into the night's dinner and I would end up taking over and start to cook. And I sucked as a uh, student in school. Like literally, as my wife says, if I got a C, the whole family would go out to dinner. You know, it was like a huge celebration. And uh, um, But I was really had a knack for cooking and understanding it and uh, taking, taking risks with it, which I still continue to take risks. And so I went to culinary school thinking I knew everything about cooking and I realized I didn't. I was in restaurants probably for three years and then I found catering and I haven't left. Um, I've opened a few of my own restaurants along the way, but catering is, um, is what I feel like I'm gifted at. What do you think the difference is between I, I, you and I both have restaurant and catering background. I've done eight years of catering and a dozen years of restaurants before that. There is a difference. There's a lot of overlap. But what draws you to catering versus, say, restaurant tourism or, or, or being a restaurant tour? Well, what draws me now is, is a little different than what drew me before. But there was there's nothing better than leaving your place of work. So you do all this prep and then around three or four o'clock you get put into a truck and you drive your way to the Museum of Modern Art or or a tent in Central Park. And for that 45 minutes on that drive, there's nothing you 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 don't have to do anything. Everything is packed. And now you get basically set up a kitchen in the middle of a stairwell or a loading dock and it's a mystery. It's it's a complete immersive challenge. And every event is different and every event is alive. And you're not on the line waiting for another six top to come in and plate the same food you did yesterday. You're you're having a completely new experience. Some most restaurant chefs, when they get into catering, want to get out immediately because it's not so rigid and organized. And it's so freeform, but there are the personalities that completely embrace that, and that's and that's me. So new, challenging, mysterious—you know—it sounds like things that are routine are not exciting. And so catering offered that. I'm curious: Do you see a lot of caterers at, over your three decades of being in the industry? 
are the ones that succeed typically those who are a little bit more expansive in their thinking and less rigid in their approach? Or is there kind of a split with people following formulas and systems and here are the menus that we do. We'll just update the price next year. I think there's a wide mix. New York catering is like nowhere else in the world because there's so many corporations and, and, and how are you going to get meetings with people without having to entertain, giving them a reason. And so there's between store openings and product launches and museum exhibit openings and, corporations entertaining uh it's not just christmas parties and there's the there's the gambit of somebody just wants you know stayed traditional food and and they've been doing it for a long time uh but you know obviously food is a great way of bringing everyone together and uh you know there's not a lot of chef-owned catering companies out there there's a few but not not a lot so I want to play off of that a little bit because when I go back to the restaurant days, this is back in, you know, I worked in restaurants from 94 to 06. And, you know, at the time, this is pre-social media, not a lot of website, even activity at that point. And there were a lot of guides that were really important back then. One of them was Zagat. And, you know, Zagat had, I think it was four different criteria when they were rating a, a restaurant it was. You know, the quality of the service, uh, the price and the atmosphere, I think, were right. the four four main components. Right. You know, I, I talk with a lot of wedding professionals in, in my day-to-day work, and I run into a lot of people who feel like it's the product that they offer that makes them successful, that that's what the client really wants. If it's If they're a photographer, it's the quality of the photographs or the images. If they're a videographer, it's the film itself. If they are a floral designer, it's the beauty and originality of the actual floral arrangement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm curious, how much do you think with your catering that you do is focused on the quality of the food versus the entertainment factor that you mentioned a few minutes ago or some other traits that you think that your clients have is food the most important thing that you do or is it more than that well at pinch food design it's all about having as arrogant as this might sound a life-changing experience Mm -hmm. and we mix design in our interactions which are a buffet but there's some interactive element to it our beverage experience have cocktails changing color and our food trays are all handmade here and have been made with the hors d'oeuvre in mind when they're being made so they're married together we have pop-ups which are just a momentary experience of a three to four bite food item that magically happens in one corner of the party and then disappears we used to do a long rope with hanging pretzels that are brought out of a suitcase And all of a sudden, everybody at the party stops and they look around and they're going, what is going on over there? And they look, they take out their phones, they start taking pictures, and then they start doing the limbo underneath the the stretched rope of pretzels. And and it's, it's a moment. And let's say it's a party for 400. Well, maybe only 75 people experience that. But now they're talking about it with everybody else. And at that same time, we'll come out with another 
pop up, which would be beignets shooting out of a wall onto uh, chili honey or something. And so there, there are things that people haven't seen before. We don't want to take over the event. Uh, we just want to be, as, as in our name, as a little pinch. A little pinch of a spice makes uh, something taste different. And we just want to be a little pinch of something that makes makes the party experience better. The staff, we have a great top-of-the-line staff, and the staff is a given that it has to be perfect, but it really is a, um, a food design experience. So you're actually weaving yourself into the experiences that are for the guests. It's not just a place where people go and get nourishment or have a conversation over a table. You're creating opportunities for the guests to interact with your service, with your product. Right. And the most important thing is uh, another definition of pinch is uh, that the whole pinch me, was that a dream? And Mm. we want people the next day to say that party was incredible. I am going to donate money to this gala, to this foundation. Uh, I'm going to support the company because they have they took care of us and did such a great job. Or that was an absolutely amazing wedding. Um, I've never seen a wedding like that before. That couple is so creative. You know they are. You know, and so we're out to make who's ever hiring us look great. We are out to make sure that the party planner gets a raise. You know, we're out to support who's ever working with us and make them look uh, look great. And basically, because the guests are going to remember, uh, that's, that's our main goal is to put smiles on people's faces. I would imagine that that's something that, well, you tell me, going back to 1989, was that the goal that you had in mind to put smiles on faces and to have it be a pinch me experience? Or was it, was that something that evolved over your career? My last company was more focused on food and I was really focused on having the best catering food out there for large numbers of people and to let people know that we can pull off this intimate dish for a large number of people. And that was the challenge and, you know, what I did, uh, you know, at that company. And when we started that company, you know, there was no internet. So when uh, tarragon became a popular herb, it took like two years for it to infiltrate the country and now the world. Like, what's tarragon? Oh, really? Okay. And then arugula came out and everyone's like, well, arugula, well, that's kind of bitter. I've never heard of that. And and there were some things that just came out. But now, if you change a microgreen, um, you pop it on the internet, and they're serving it in uh, in India at a, at an event or anywhere around the world. So it's it's. Um, I think it, it'd be harder to have that type of company now that was just focused on the food. Although, like you said, we could have a company that was more nourishment. You know, this company that we're working on. That, that I'm working for now at Pinch, mixing food and design, we're only at the beginning. We're at the 10%. We're at the tip of the iceberg. Uh, there's so much more to develop because we're not confined by the plate. There's so many ways to serve food, and there's so many ways to serve drink, and there's so much creativity out there that I'm excited for the future. I think I love that about 
you more than anything is that you're always curious about what the future is going to hold and how you're going to participate in that. And I'm sure that that's why you were on the vanguard of, you know, food as design and experience, not just high quality for 400 people. You know, I think that that's something that you were probably a trailblazer on. How have you over the course of years, decades, especially with social media and everybody can see the pretzel rope or the donuts hanging from the umbrella or, you know, whatever other magnificent design you come up with. How do you deal with knockoffs at this point? Having, having done this for so long, what is that like to see other people try to imitate or, or, or outright take what it is that you've come up with and, and do it on their own? Well, you know, it's flattery and, we, we know that it's hard. It starts with the sale. Like if you look at the definition of catering in the, in the dictionary, it'll say cooking something that someone else wants or something along these lines or to their specifications. We have researched tried and true experimentation before we even bring it out into the field. For instance, if you can go and order a custom suit, which is a lot of times what a lot of the other caterers do is someone will say to them, well, I've seen these pretzels hanging on a rope. Can you do them? Yes, of course we can do that. Um, or you can buy an Armani suit, which they've spent so much time uh, designing and figuring out where it can stretch, where it can bend, uh, how it can keep the food hot, how it can uh, – serve a lot of people, how it can stay clean, how it can fold up and go to another another event. So we, this is all we think about is this style. And we do see people doing a lot of this stuff that we've created, but we're on to the next thing. We, like I said, we're only at 10% of this, of this. There's so much more, you know, what's in our pipeline of what we want to create uh, Marjorie, my uh, our our creative director here, Marjorie Artieres, she's on to like some revolutionary things that from using the eleven years that we've been in business to to implement and to change. What's been some of the challenges that you've run into? Obviously, when you're doing R and D on stuff that works, how to keep things hot or cold, you know, trying to duplicate something that looks good in the office or in the test kitchen and then do that for 500 people at the Museum of Modern Art. You know, what are some of the things that you've run into as a caterer, as a business owner that have provided challenges for your growth, your success? Being a classically trained chef, since I learned at Glorious Food how to cater huge parties, all of that we have as our foundation. So we can we execute a proper catered party. It's not like we're just 100% whimsical. Things that we create come with experience of knowing how to create them and, and doing repetitions over and over again of similar items. The hardest thing for us is to get clients and guests to take a risk. And when we will talk about it and people will see our pictures on Instagram or on our website or in a proposal, but when they come in for a tasting and they experience food hanging in front of them or uh, a hidden item in the, in the table that all of a sudden appears or a spinning bottle 
then they all of a sudden put it together and realize how excited they were to have this food and beverage experience. And that's been, that was our hardest hurdle. I feel like people nowadays are really willing to take risks with food and beverage experiences. We tend to be a little bit on the extreme. I mean, I, and I would imagine that over the years, it's been, like you said, just said now, it's been easier because people have kind of warmed up to the idea. Do you think that's in part because of uh, them being able to see it or having experienced it before at your parties or through your social media? I mean, what people don't magically become more you know, comfortable with risk. They tend to kind of tow the water and then they put their leg in and then eventually they'll go up to their waist. And, you know, mo- most people don't cannonball off the 10 meter platform to get into the pool of risk. What do you think has helped over your career allow you to really be as creative as you are now? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think that it's possible that some people will put on their resume or on their Instagram profile or something that they're a foodie. When I was growing up, that was not even a term. Like, what do you mean you're a foodie? You eat? We all eat. There are so many people that include food as one of their interests. And that, the evolution of of that, I mean, I was in recently with one of my daughter in my school with one of my daughters and the father was talking about bacon popcorn. And I'm like, I don't know where, I don't know without all the, the we're inundated with so much food porn and everybody has seen so much. And I don't take pictures of my food. I know a lot of people take pictures of their food and I'm thinking they take it because it was a unique experience. And I think now because of that, and this is the first time I'm thinking about it, but maybe people want more and more unique experiences with food. Uh, and we lucked out. We lucked out to have created a company at that time. And, and you know, it's not like we do three parties a week. You know, during this season now that we're talking in December, you know, the beginning of December, we're doing four to six parties a day. You know, we have a lot of people. There's over 400 waiters and uh, the 75 chefs that we have. And so we're able to – we've figured out a system and we have – almost 200 of our interaction pieces uh, in our inventory that somehow, and this is incredible to me today, that they get packed in a truck and that they get sent to the party. And then on that day that we have six parties, that they all get sent to the right party. And that the staff that's working the party actually knows what to do with them, how to open them, how to serve them, how to clean them, how to pack them up. And it turns out to be a successful event. That to me is still mind boggling to me how that happens. I still feel like we're a little small company working out of our home. (laughs) But with 400 waiters and 75 cooks on your team. Yeah. That all care that all love, you know, there's nothing better than for them to walk out with a pop-up of that looks like one of those giant, toast racks that you would get in a hotel but it's really long and there's a stuffed panini that has no seams in it because we pull out all the bread from the inside with tweezers and fill it with a um, mozzarella cheese and porcini mushrooms and you're getting this seamless freshly grilled uh, panini and 
you know, our waiters all talk about they want to take pictures of the people's yeah. eyes as their eyes open up and that they and, and, and these and these experiences bring someone from one side of the room to, to the other side of the room and they're meeting right in the middle. And they're, they're, it actually becomes a, um, a, a, a mingling aid where they can where, you know, we can help people mingle and, and we can use some of these pop ups. I know, I, uh, you know, as a way of pulling people away and traffic control. And there's all these new things that we've created that that is a lot of fun. You sound like you have always got something going in your mind, design-wise, idea-wise, creativity. How do you turn that off? Or do you ever turn it off? No, not only that, you have to mix in the guilt of not doing them. You know, now the minute you have a bunch of ideas, now it comes, oh, I have to do these. And then if you don't do them immediately, you're not moving forward. You know, there's 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 fighting that. I look at the world, okay, my superpower in my life is miniaturizing food. So I can look at a main course dinner plate and figure out how I can make that into an hors d'oeuvre um, and how I can help someone could hold it with their hands. Um, so for instance, if you had a traditional meal of a potato gratin with a filet of beef, or let's say a, um, a ribeye and a spinach puree, like a typical steakhouse meal, how can I make that into a handhold, um, a handhold cauliflower gratin with a, um, a ribeye that has a decal wrapped around it with a spinach souffle. How can I make it a look colorful? How can I make it look architectural? How can I make it stay hot? How can I make it not fall apart in your hands? That's what I am enthusiastic about. You could even mention a food that you like, and I could tell you how to miniaturize it as an exercise. Hmm. That's your, that's your superpower. Yes. Does that come to you like the snap of a finger and you see it almost in a flash or are you kind of chewing on it at night? I know that sometimes I'll wake up in the morning. I'm like, okay, got that problem solved. Now I'm going to go downstairs and write it out because I, I, it came to me in my sleep or I'm, I'm out on a run or a bike ride or something and, and it comes to me then. Are you, are you finding free time to be able to develop these ideas or are you just kind of in the kitchen experimenting and, you know, like Thomas Edison, all of a sudden you got the, you got the light bulb to work? I have a constant list um, on my phone now. It used to be on a little mini tape recorder, but uh, now it's on my phone and, and I'll draw a sketch. Um, I have colored pencils right here in my office and I make a drawing of a food idea uh, and I work together with Marjorie and figure out how we can be presented. And then when our slow season hits, which is usually July and August or January and February, I'll hang up all of my uh, drawings in the kitchen. And then, uh, and then the team, all my cooks will start to ask, what about this? And then they take it, you know, they, they make it a reality. Um, So yeah, I can, I can, uh, I do have trouble sometimes concentrating um, because there, there might be a food idea fleeting through my head. And then in the morning, it's the stupidest idea that I've ever created. But uh, that comes with the territory. 
<laughs> you, you and I are, I think we're kind of similar in this way where we have tons of ideas and we want to see them all happen as fast as we can. I don't, I don't know what your wife is like, the relationship you have with her. And you know, my wife, Katie, a little bit, but she, like I, she describes me as the kite and she's a string. Um, you right. know, she's always kind of like, come back down to earth, Sam, come yes. back down there. L- lately, she's like, that's a great idea. Why don't you put it in your idea book? And then when you run out of all the things that you need to do already, you can open up your book and start new ones. And so- you and I, I have I have to put them down on a piece of paper. Otherwise, I just I end up losing my way with all these new, fun, exciting things. So what you've done, though, is you've created a system and your wife now has figured out a way to communicate to you uh, the system. And now she's not like frustrated with it or whatever. She says, oh, put it in the book. I'll read the book later. Just write it down. And and now you have all these ideas. And on and, and now and 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 that to me is like. I have a system like right now I feel like for for Christmas season I wish some of the new ideas we had were ready so that we could uh we could offer them to our clients you know and so now we're trying to get them ready uh um for March and April season so mm-hmm. now we have the pressure upon us then because you know we 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 have a full-time um a design building department as well as we make make so we we are building hors d'oeuvre trays to speak one of the hors d'oeuvre trays that i'm excited about is i've always wanted a cube of food uh to stand on its corner to look like it's standing on its corner because i love magic when you're at a party i i love it when someone is talking to someone and maybe they're having an interesting conversation or maybe they're having typical cocktail conversation and a waiter walks up with um, these, let's say, a, uh, a camembert, a warm camembert, warm camembert in a, a puffed quinoa cube. And it looks just like a perfect one-inch cube. And it's standing on its corner. They're going to stop talking for a second. They're all going to have an experience at that very minute that they've said, I've never, I've never seen anything standing on its corner. Have you? In their minds, they're saying this. And then they're going to pop it in their mouth and they're going to get crispy, crunchy, but warm cheese, like a fried mozzarella stick, but of a different level. And they're going to now look at each other with what the, you know, that they've just eaten this thing. So we got them twice. We got them with the tray and we got them with the, uh, with the, with the, with the, uh, with the, with the sensation and the simplicity of the food and that that's the fun part for us is to watch and that's the fun part for our staff to watch people experience and the waiter just stands there and nods his head and goes i know i know <laughs> i had the same reaction when we tried it before the meal <laughs> yeah exactly and they finally when they let me try stuff so clearly coming up with new ideas and and seeing the looks on people's faces of astonishment and awe highlight of the workday, you know, your career goals. Um, that's what really drives you, motivates you, inspires you. What are, what's the one thing that if you look back on, or, or maybe could just be this last week, what's the one thing that's kind of a drag on the day to day? What do you, what do you hate doing or procrastinate or wish wasn't a part of what you had to do as the the executive chef or, or, you know, creative director or owner of your company? 
Yeah, I mean, two things stick out in my head. Number one is dealing with the traffic in New York City. Um, it's gotten worse and they've created all these other lanes and we have to get food to a party and inevitably we might forget a, uh, a screw for one of our interactions or cocktail napkins and we have to drive through traffic again. So that's always a stressful time, but maybe you could look at that as an exciting time. And sadly, employment law is a hard thing to keep to keep track of and to keep up on, and especially when you're dealing with uh, uh, so many freelance people that are actually on payroll and also dealing with how they talk to each other, how they look at each other and you know, education and a lot of that. We spend a lot of time. We've got a big HR uh, department, but uh, it's tough, especially because during the season, we, we add about 25% seasonal employees. And so just to get everybody uh, educated. But we, like I say, we have staff that does that and we have staff that does it well. Knock on wood, we haven't had any issues, but it is something that is uh, uh, a lot more energy has gone into. Hmm. So two more questions. I want to look at, at this point in your career, having done this for three plus decades, leading the field in many ways with concept and design and still delivering the flavor. What does success look like for you in the next two, three, four years? What does that, what does that look like? I guess it comes back to putting smiles on people's faces and feeling that there's so many more people that we need to convert and they call it a party. And we've all gone to birthday parties as little kids. And we, we had our high school parties, which were also crazy and took turns. Parties are alive. Parties are a live being. You can't predict what's going to happen at a party and parties are supposed to be fun. Parties are supposed to like, party fun those are those are two similar similar type words and so um we want to make the parties as fun as possible and we want we want people to really really enjoy and that's that's the reason that someone's having the party not necessarily to hear the speech they want to hear the speech but they also want to have a good time otherwise they're not going to leave their house so we want to make sure that they do have that and there's so many people. We have such a small slice of the pie of, uh, of catering um, and parties that we want to just convert more people. It's not a cult, but we want to convert more people. <laughs> well, I, I love that even after three decades, you're still thinking there's so much more left to do. And it's still the, the look on the people's faces when they see your food and eat your food that really motivates you. And I think that's what's going to create the kind of longevity. It, clearly, it's an important part of the culture at Pinch and why people are still working for you. Because you and I both know labor is probably amongst the hardest things. Getting a recipe is is not is not hard, but getting somebody to cook it and serve it and clean up after it, that's actually the hard part. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back and end with one of my favorite questions. And... You could look at it as a positive, which is what advice do you wish that you had received when you were younger or a more interesting one for me, which is any regrets over your career? 
as a owner of your company, what is it that wish you had done differently? Or what would you have told your former self to pay more attention to? Um, I don't think I have regrets because each, there's not much I can do about them. Um, but I think there's three things that I think about and they're all the cliches. Go with your gut. One of the things I love about Pinch is that um, if we have an idea, there's no, no one's saying no. Okay, fine, do it. Let's do it. And uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. But uh, we're all about experimenting. Number two, as far as a business owner goes, keep an eye on your P&L. You know, understand your numbers. Um, understand uh, your numbers. And, and number three is also part of that is the spend money to make money. Every time Marjorie says, oh, I want to get 24 of these tables that we can use at parties and they're they're going to be. And, I, and she goes, don't think that's too much. I go, let's do it because I know we're going to sell them. And so not be afraid to um, give someone a raise, not be afraid to uh, invest in the infrastructure because it, it will come back. If your business is good, it'll come back. You know, you, you, you teach me a lot about all that stuff, Sam. You teach me a lot about investing in my, in my people and investing in the staff. And uh, I, also pride myself on everybody that works here. I could do a two hour car ride with just me and them alone in a car. And that's sort of my criteria for people here is that I, I really love how hard they work and I, and I love them and I'm interested in them as individuals. Mm -hmm. I believe that I do because uh, I've seen it. And I also know that going back to the don't be afraid to invest not just in yourself, but in things that can help propel you. I think as small business owners, as you know, solopreneurs or entrepreneurs, we get in the habit of bootstrapping and DIYing everything, you know, duct taping and and piecing things together. And, you know, we wonder why progress is so slow. We have to be willing to invest in our own business it is is very important. And and one of the things that I kind of distill that down to is don't trip over dimes to pick up pennies. And I do think that a lot of business owners end up getting in their own way because they're so concerned about saving money that they forget to focus on ways that they can make money. Right. And, and just as, as all markets grow because of investments, your business won't grow if you aren't willing to invest in it yourself. It doesn't have to be a big sum, but it just needs to be in the right areas to make sure that you're leveraging the most that you can from what you currently have working for you. Yeah. Bob, I can't thank you enough for sharing some of the background. You and I have talked for hours, but I learned a ton of new things about you. I'm happy that the, the audience did as well. Um, if people wanted to find out more about Pinch, where's a good place for them to, to go to see your beautiful designs and uh, learn more about what it might be like to work with you? We're all over Instagram at Pinch Food Design and PinchFoodDesign.com uh, is, our, is our website. And you've got a book, right, Bob? We have it here. What's the name of the book? And, and is it is it still in print or can people get it online? Inspired Bites. Yeah, I think it's in a sixth printing. It's done well, but a lot of those are, are old ideas. So, you know, we're on to some of the new ideas. 
Sam, I'm going to miss you terribly. This was fun hanging out with you and talking to you. And uh, I'm always amazed at your interest and your understanding and your ability to listen uh, is extraordinary. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate that.